This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It is Tuesday, January 18th. We're off of our uh, normal Monday schedule here this week during the holiday week. And I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from irishillustrated.com. We're joined by Pete Sampson of The Athletic. And needless to say, as our instant analysis indicated on Monday, we are in total um, Notre Dame assistant coach mode with guys coming and going and still waiting. Mike Elson, of course, on to Michigan. Notre Dame has brought in defensive line coach Al Washington from Ohio State and wide receivers coach Chancey Stuckey from Baylor. Uh, John Heacock, Heacock is out. Haycock is out for uh, defensive coordinator Notre Dame, and so that is pretty wide open. Notre Dame needs a new running backs coach because Lance Taylor is off to Louisville as offensive coordinator. So needless to say, we have a lot to talk about here <laughs> in today's podcast. Most of the questions are about uh, assistant coaches. We'll deal with that in the second segment. We won't go fully in depth with all of that in the first segment, but let's start with uh, Mike Elston leaving for Michigan. Uh, Pete Sampson, O'Malley and I talked about this in our instant analysis on Monday. Why don't you start out today? I was surprised based on his commentary on signing day, which is worth remembering. It was before the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I think after the Fiesta Bowl, his perspective on things changed. Um, you know, at that point, there was no chance he was going to be the defense coordinator here. And if he wanted to be one, he needed to leave. And I think it just sort of got to a, got to a head where if I want that opportunity, I got to go somewhere else to try to find it. Uh, he's a coach at a certain, you know, I think we've seen this at a bunch of, including Al Washington coming in, like there's like this Notre Dame, Ohio state, Michigan uh, circle that these coaches <laughs> go on uh, the, the, the Greg Madison cycle, if you will. Um, and Elston is good enough to, to be an Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame level coach. So, you know, the move to Michigan makes sense from that point of view. But, um, yeah, certainly every, everything he said on Sanya, you're just like, huh, that was you laid it on pretty thick. And then to turn around after the Fiesta Bowl, after a bad performance and be like, all right, I got to go somewhere else. I need a fresh start was it was a, a startling turn of events. It was a bit much, but um, putting the putting the off-putting nature of that in the rearview mirror and just going on the field. Mike Elston, you figure, I, I kind of wrote this yesterday in Monday Musings, there's, if there's four things you want at a position coach, he hit three of the four really hard. I think number one thing he didn't get, he didn't get the best possible talent to come in and play his position. But boy, he got the best fits, he developed that talent, and he found diamonds in the rough and found talent where others didn't see it. But Pete, we talked about this a little yesterday. You, you know, you're not always going to turn players 609 ranking Justin Adamiola into a legitimate playoff starter. What you want to do is garner more of the Keon Keeleys and Brendan Vernons. And that's, that's, yeah. it was trending that way, but it might, it, you know, we don't, it hadn't been going that way in, in the past. So that is where they could improve is bringing in enough talent where you kind of assuage the pain of losing his development in year one. I, I mean, would you rather have a new defensive line coach that for this year that will recruit better or would you rather have Mike Elston? It's tough. It's a tough one because I'm saying, you know, he'll recruit better, but who's, you know, is Al Washington going to develop as well as Elston is? So it's a tough one. I, I don't think Notre Dame's defensive line was ever going to be a problem or what stopped them from winning the playoffs either. That's yeah, and, a tough call. I mean, O'Malley, you made the point in its analysis that, that uh, you know, I mean, Elston did a tremendous job of turning three-star players into four-star quality or, uh, uh, you know, personnel for Notre Dame. And he did a great job. Um, as far as it relates to getting the uh, the defensive coordinator's job, you can't give up 605 yards uh, 
in the Fiesta Bowl no. against the against the offense that had had right. it had performed it better in the second half like Notre Dame's, but I mean it had sputtered many times through the season, so it was so extreme um, that you know he knew he wasn't going to get the job. And and Michigan's a I know that he has been outspoken about Michigan in, in recent years, including a long interview that I yeah. did with him sitting at his desk in the, in the Goog, uh, which was surprising to hear him talk about Michigan that way. But, um, you know, he, there's a comfort obviously at Michigan. And, and um, so Nordane brings in Al Washington and Tim and you and I talked about it on Monday that this is a good defensive line coach. Nordane, yeah. there's not going to be a drop-off in terms of certainly in recruiting, uh, I don't I don't want to speak about development per se compared to Elston, because, as you say, um, Ohio State has been bringing in better overall talent on the defensive line. Yeah. And look, we, we talked yesterday, Pete, I don't know if you heard it, but like I love Justin Adamiola. I love what they're able to do with guys like that. But if you bring in four Isaiah Foskies and two of them hit, you don't really need to develop player number 609 quite as much as you have to at Notre Dame. So that is kind of the future of. I, I think that's well, Ohio I'm State talking. isn't getting player number six oh nine. No, no. They get, I mean, they're they're just, and you have a different situation going on. Right, they're passing on on guys like that. Pete, uh, yesterday again, um, I, I keep overlapping here. I apologize, <laughs> but not everybody saw the instant analysis, and you weren't there. And so, um, I, I know that you tweet out about John Haycock, and I indicated yesterday that we heard um, similar things as to why that didn't work out with Notre Dame. Uh, why don't you explain your perspective on, on that? Yes, I had heard this at the end of last week, uh, trying to, because Haycock just made almost like too much sense on paper. That was like, and you're not in a position, like no one's turning down Notre Dame for Iowa State, just as if it's six of one, half dozen or the other. But the way Haycock coaches defense at Iowa State, he floats around different positions. Um, that's not how Marcus Freeman wants the defense to be coached. He wants the coordinator to be locked into a position. Um, I believe his point of view is like almost that the players would be being cheated if they didn't have a dedicated position coach who was a coordinator. Now, look, you could make the argument that um, Brian Mason could help you at linebackers because he's coached that at Cincinnati. Um, O'Leary has coached linebackers at Cincinnati as well, uh, or I'm not at Notre Dame, more in a graduate analyst kind of role, but you know, that Notre Dame had some flexibility there, but that that's just not where Freeman wanted to go. Um, I don't think it had really much to do with anything in terms of like schematic differences. They run a very similar defense. It's not identical. Um, but, you know, I, I also think that Notre Dame's point of view is like, you better get the best 11 players on the field. And that starts with four defensive linemen and then you figure out the rest of it. Um, so the idea of running a three, three, five next year makes no sense. Uh, we will get into, we have a question uh, specifically about candidates and we'll save that uh, defensive coordinator candidates. That is, we'll save that till the second segment, uh, a name that Tom Loy threw out uh, on Irish Illustrated as a running backs possibility is Lou Ione is he's the running backs coach. And Northwestern, he's a veteran veteran coach. He's only about 40 years old, but he's been in the business um, as, a, as a coach almost half his life so that he would be a veteran uh, running back coach for Notre Dame to consider. And then um, I guess the last thing I just want to address again, because we are so heavy on questions on, on the coaching staff in the second segment is transfer portal. People are always asking us, are there any names? And 
trust me, when we know names in the transfer portal that Notre Dame's interested in, we will that will be included on irishillustrated.com and it'll be on uh, on all of our podcasts. We know that there are some coming in addition to Brandon Joseph, the safety from Northwestern, who walks right into the starting lineup pretty much uh, when he arrives. But, uh, you know, when we learn those names in the transfer portal, because there will be more that certainly at receiver, um, certainly in the, uh, in the secondary, they'll be looking at guys. We'll, uh, we'll address that. Tim, anything else you want to uh, hit in segment one before we go to the questions? No, cause it's more, it's, it's the coaches that I, I really want to kind of what, what you're looking for at running backs coach and, and stuff. And, and that is different than defensive line coach. And as Pete mentioned yeah. uh, with Marcus Freeman, wanting someone dedicated to a position, I, I get that. I know that might sound weird to people because certainly it could work both ways. If your defensive coordinator is not dedicated to a position, but I, I get the teaching aspect at this level. I kind of agree with Freeman and I don't mean to use Van Gorder as the cherry picking um, example, but Van Gorder, roamed after his first year remember he was only right. in some yep. linebackers and then he just roamed it but that's that's low-hanging fruit to point out as an example but it, it, i immediately thought of that and hey cox a better coordinator than that but i i do like the idea of having a dedicated coach i, I hadn't actually heard that before and i think that's it makes sense for uh for what freeman's installing too in terms of keeping developing a, a program all right segment two coming up burning up the boards thank you for listening to the irish illustrated insider podcast If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. This is segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider. It's called Burning Up the Boards. We take questions from our readers and listeners of our podcast. We start with a dual question, one from Ash ND, which is how would you grade the replacements at wide receiver and D-line coach? Do you think Tony Alford is a viable option at running back coach? And then CMU Penns fan, which coach does Notre Dame miss the most in 2022? Mike Elston, Lance Taylor, or Brian Polian? I would not grade the coaches. Uh, I, I think there are very few things in our industry that we are less qualified to speak on <laughs> than how good a assistant coaching hire was. Um, I mean, Mike Sanford was an awesome hire and Harry, he's who the hell is this guy? Tennessee's line sucked. So it, it is, I, I mean, I'm optimistic. I think Chancey Stuckey has a lot of really good um, traits and qualities about him that would make you think, yeah, this is a guy that makes sense to take a chance on. Um, you know, Tim, I know you talked to Brady Quinn. I talked to Tony Elliott about him, um, played with him and coached with him at Clemson. Um, just raved about him and yeah. thought that he, it, it was interesting talking to people around Baylor. They felt like Stucky would be better at Notre Dame than he was at Baylor. And he was really good at Baylor because of the kinds of kids that he'd be communicating with regularly at Notre Dame. Um, Al Washington was Marcus Freeman's number one choice. So that that's a positive place to start. Um, but, you know, just kind of hard to, I just don't like grading assistant coaching hires. No, it, you know, I think you look at it this way. Everybody that followed that covered Notre Dame thought it was time to move on from Dell Alexander. Not that he couldn't have remained. Um, So the grade there is you improved because you wanted to move on and you found a dynamic recruiter that people speak highly of as a position coach. So that grade is an improvement. Al Washington has to be a wash until we see him operate with his defensive line because 
since 2017, Notre Dame's defensive line has been the best or second best unit on the team on 10, 11, and 12 win teams. So that no, we cannot, let's not go retrospect here and act like, oh, they got rid of Elston. Now the defensive line is going to, you know, all of a sudden be great. No, no, no. But if Mike Elston, because of the defensive coordinator situation, was going to perhaps not be as good in his job in terms of how he interacts with people in the Goog and how he interacts with the staff, then it's okay that the change is made, right? You don't yeah. want someone, you don't want someone that's finally not happy to be there in Mike Elston, because Mike Elston oozed, I'm happy to be with my 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 line. This is these are my guys. And it was part of his it was part of his success, I think, because he was so ensconced in their lives. Yeah, I would, I would agree. And, and, you know, look, we can all, I mean, P, you and I can call a bunch of people and get them to say good things about a new assistant. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, a bit of a, we, bit of a confirmation uh, bias on this. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, you know, we, but here's, when you hear here's one, the, one thing I just want to interject on, on Stucky, Dabo Sweeney raved about him to Notre Dame. Right. That, exactly. Him and matters. Elliot both did. Yes. Him and yeah. Elliot both did. And Dave Elliott was a few. It, yeah, I mean, I, we know those guys are all effusive about him. Um, some that uh, coached him, some that played with him. And in, in the case of of Brady Quinn, I, you know, Chancey Stuckey's just a very impressive human being. He just he just is. Uh, and and I totally understand the idea that he'd be even better coach at Notre Dame. That makes complete sense. Um, I think he's going to do a, a really nice job in terms of defensive line knowledge. I, I'm sure the L Washington is right on par with, with Mike Elson, the Mike Elson's development of, of guys that weren't, uh, you know, as many four and five stars that, that stands out. So I, I concur with you on not wanting to grade, but what you want to do is look at this and say, wow, you know, um, you don't want to see a whole bunch of red flags. And I know immediately the public sees uh, Stucky's bio and says, Oh, well, it's not, it's not very, uh, very impressive. But again, I try to emphasize to people, this is such a cursory look on our part. That's why we have to talk to people like Elliot and Quinn, um, you know, and Aranda and those kind of people. And it's, they look like good fits for Notre Dame. That's the best that we can say right now. As, as with, Poli, with, with Brian Polian, um, I always thought Brian Polian did a good job coordinating Notre Dame special teams. But I think, you know, technically speaking, we've talked to people about this, Pete, you have in the past. Obviously, they can upgrade from Polian. It's not like his life calling was special teams coach. I just thought he brought, when he was hired, he brought organization and buy-in and commitment to the position because we have to remember for a long time, it should never be this way ever. And Brian Kelly's gone now, so maybe it won't be. Notre Dame's special team sucked and nobody wanted to play it other than Matthias Farley's team in 2015. Right. You have not heard that since Brian Polian came. So he did a good job with that. But I mean, I would assume that Mason can get guys to want to be involved in special teams like other teams do that are in playoff contenders. It was always strange to me that you had guys that didn't want to play special teams. You have to demand that they want to play special teams. Right. You, you make it ingrained. Well, if the head coach allows you to get away yeah. with that, then that's what, that's what you get. That's Mark what happens. Freeman will not. He is very heavily involved in why. <clears throat> All right. So who, who do they miss most? Elston, Taylor, or Polian? Well, we don't know who Taylor's We don't know who Taylor's replacement is. <laughs> yeah. so, but on that note, all right, I want to bring this up. This is what I was going to bring up in the last segment. Here's Notre Dame's rush running back coaches. Okay. Here's what they've done under, did you guys think Jonas Gray did pretty well? 
in developing at Notre Dame under the running backs coach. His one year came out came out of nowhere. Took a minute, but yeah, I got that. That was Tim Hinton. Okay, Tim Hinton developed Jonas Gray and thousand yard rusher Sierra Wood. You guys like Tony Alford a little bit that replaced him? Did a pretty good job. All right, Autry Denson, the worst running backs coach probably of the four, had Josh Adams as NCJ Procise as running backs in 2015. He had the Joe Moore award-winning line in Josh Adams in 17 and Dexter Williams at 18. Lance Taylor had Kyron Williams. You know what you need at running backs, coach? Running backs. Recruit good running backs. And <laughs> you he will need be Kyron Williams is what you need. <laughs> you need yeah, yeah I think we've Kyron said Williams. this before. I think, you know, and again, assistant coaches are all responsible for, that's their job. They're getting paid heavily to, to develop quality football players. But I think that we we j- immediately jump on if a guy's good, then the coach did well. If the guy's not performing, then he sucked. And it's that's not no, it's that's doesn't. not full reality of competitive athletics. It just isn't. I can't believe Lance Taylor was able to ingrain that ability of Kyron Williams to never right. say die and run so well. What a great running backs coach he was. That's amazing. And Audrey would, Denson made Dexter Williams so fast. It's like, come on. <laughs> this is just what about I, I? You know, I know a lot of people love Tony Alford, and and we did too. We we got along with him well, and he was he's a good running backs coach. But he made Ezekiel Elliott a pro, Tim. He's a great running back coach. <laughs> he got promoted I, this morning. In case you missed that, yeah, <laughs> right. So, so the Tony answer Alford's is not, no. Yeah, he's, he's option. yeah he's he's not coming to Notre Dame, but I, but there are good running backs coach coaches out there. The one in Northwestern is a capable uh, veteran football coach and we'll see if it's him or if other names pop up second question here from uh, cpm 41 why haven't any of the reported staff hires been officially announced it would be nice to, to get those guys on on the recruiting trail uh they have to be cleared with hr at notre dame and but it would be nice to get those guys out on the recruiting trail yeah it's the same answer every year we go through it's just that this year there's a lot of them that are more important than the past couple of years where you've been replacing one guy and stuff like yeah. that. So it's it's just, the way Nording functions. They want to avoid, they want to avoid um, the hiring of somebody that they haven't fully vetted. And here's the thing. Okay. Nording has 12 guys out recruiting. Now they have offensive. In addition to Marcus Freeman, Tommy Reese, Mickens, O'Leary and McNulty, they have offensive analyst, Gus Ragland, Offensive analyst Trevor Mendelson, defensive analyst Nick Lazinski, defensive analyst Mike Moon, offensive uh, director of recruiting Dre Brown, and defensive director of recruiting Chad Bowden. Now, the response to that is going to be, yeah, but those guys aren't going to um, coach the recruits that they're speaking with or or not speaking with necessarily, but looking into. Um, At this stage of the pro- – what, what's that, Tim? It's worth noting that uh, the last two upheavals for coaching were obviously after 2016. And there are also a fair amount after 2014. Um, it's when they brought in Denson and some other guys. The press conferences with the coaches were January 31st in 2017. That's the first time they were announced. And February 3rd for the, oh no, I'm sorry, March for the 2015 guys to have the coaches finally be announced and everything right. set in place. It takes a while at Notre Dame. It's always going to take a while at Notre Dame. And if you don't know why you don't know Notre Dame or its history <laughs> and one funny moment where they hired the wrong guy. Well, the main thing is that you have people out doing the job and they have capable people. Hey, everybody, there was a, there was a strong outcry that Notre Dame doesn't have enough analysts. So they have, 
They've upgraded that and they're doing their jobs right now. I, you know, I agree. Yeah. You want to get everybody on staff, but I wouldn't look at this as a major concern at this point of the recruiting process. Would you agree with that, Pete? Yeah. Not ideal. If uh, the first recruiting weekend on is it January 29th. Yeah. That's why I use that date. That's yeah. That's if you're not at full staff then, or full staff, maybe minus one. Right. Then, then you have a problem. Uh, right now you do not. I would expect them to be full staff minus one at that point too, in terms of official, official at hiring. worse. Yeah. yeah. Because official hirings can be, can take some time there, but next uh, one, Irish red. Irish Red 23-33. Losing Elston and Taylor means the two best position coaches are gone, but it also means there is no one on staff that has served as recruiting coordinator at Notre Dame. What does that loss of institutional knowledge mean to future recruiting? And on a related note, pin and pull, who do you anticipate taking over as recruiting coordinator? I think, I think you know, it's a good question from Irish Red um, as far as institutional knowledge, but we know that Marcus Freeman's at the forefront of everything that's happening right now um, in recruiting. So, yeah, you, you want somebody that has experience in Notre Dame, but there are guys there. It's not like the recruiting coordinator is just going to be, you know, going solo on this. As far as who takes over as recruiting coordinator, Brian Mason has experience in that department. I was going to joke and say Harry Heastan, but I, I, I <laughs> Harry Heastan is going to be the uh, recruiting coordinator for Notre Dame. No, that's not true. He will focus mainly on the offensive line, but Brian Mason is the one that has experience not not a ton at, at Cincinnati as recruiting coordinator I think Chancey Stuckey's personality is tailor-made for it um, and I don't know if they go that direction now Washington is a is a very good uh, recruiter has established himself as a very good recruiter um, what's your guys perspective on who gets that job I think that it will be Chad Bowden, even if it's not in title. Like, I don't, he's not going right. to be de- defensive yeah. recruiting director anymore. Um, he'll run the shop or at least be at the top of the org chart there. So, uh, you know, in terms of who the coach is, I, I'm not, this might be a time where it matters less than usual uh, because of Bowden's involvement. And I think that's the future of the spot too, don't you? Is yeah, involved yeah. I mean, it just it, I mean, it, it yeah. Well, it makes way more sense when you can hire a, a support staff guy to handle that. Um, yeah, no, I agree. Chad Bowden is is the right choice for that. Everybody knows that. I think everybody that is being recruited by Notre Dame generally knows that. The players and the families, right? They they they're oh, yeah. all quite quite aware of that. So um, he'll get the job over here. He stand despite. The, I would say like the institutional knowledge thing is, is real though. Um, I mean, you saw Brian Kelly really struggle with that for a while. Um, despite having guys on staff with some Notre Dame experience at the time, like Mike Dembrock, like Mike Dembrock at that time knew who could cack it at Notre Dame and who couldn't, but then he was told to go out and recruit T Shepard. Like it, yeah. it's that's that there's a learning curve there. I, I hope that Marcus and Bowden sort of can, lean on Reese a little bit yes. there yes. and say like, all right, hey, this is a good, or Poloquin who's been here forever. Paulus. Um, there's, there are enough people here. You just, you just have to be willing to sound them out. That's what I think Pete that Kelly didn't do. I think Brian Kelly was told yeah, I agree. about what was, he was supposed to be able to do at Notre Dame. And, and he's like, well, this is how we're going to tweak that. And this is who I'm going to, I think Marcus Freeman knows full well what the limitations are and how we can do this. And Bowden, and as you mentioned, there's enough, they will listen more than Brian Kelly will. 
Brian Kelly coming from Cincinnati to Notre Dame was ready to change stuff, not ready to adapt to stuff. He later adapted to everything, and that's why he was so successful. DW Stall 81, surprised to see Freeman hire Washington and give him run game coordinator before a DC is hired. Do you see this affecting the DC search? Zero, zero percent uh, impact. I mean, Freeman's approach to this was that if he had, if he, he was likely going to have to hire a defensive line coach before he hired a defensive coordinator the second Elson walked out the door. He was prepared to do it. He knew who his number one guy is. Um, Freeman is intensely loyal to his guys. Washington is one of them. Um, so it's if you're going to be his DC, you got to work with the staff that's already here. That that really isn't all that different than when it was Elston, Mickens, and O'Leary. Now it's just Washington, Mickens, and O'Leary, and the defense partner has to make sure that they can work with them. I think it'd be more of a concern if we were, had flipped this to offense and they had hired like a passing game coordinator, quarterbacks coach, and you're still trying to get an offensive coordinator. Does that make sense? Or it's yeah, not, I agree. It's a little bit, there's, there's more technicalities and there's more obvious friction that would be involved. I don't, I don't feel that way. This is, I get, now we're talking about something we don't have the inner workings of, but I feel like that would be a major issue if it was on the other side of the ball. And I don't, I hadn't thought of this question. So I guess I really don't think it's an issue. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it either. And as you look into, um, as we'll get into the next question here, a lot of the candidates, at least the ones that Irish Illustrated has thrown out there via Tom Loy, um, are younger guys. And so, you know, they're not in as much of a position to say, hey, I want this defensive line coach. Uh, as maybe somebody like John Haycock, for example. So and and I don't. I mean, I, I, if Notre Dame wanted to hire Al Washington, they had to hire him right now. Um, right. That you, if you waited, you weren't going to have him. Right, and uh, that was the guy that Freeman wanted, and uh, so he went out and got him. So I mean, I get it. I, it's certainly we've had multiple people ask that question, uh, but I think that's it's part of the plan that Marcus Freeman has, and Al Washington's a good defensive line coach, so that should work out. Um, just fine. Uh, I move on to uh, the question I referred to from Indy 11. Out of Irish Illustrated's listed candidate pool for defensive coordinator, and I'll throw out the last names here real quickly, Mason from Auburn, Belt from Houston Cougars, Rossi from Minnesota, Lukabu from Boston College, Golden from Cincinnati Bengals, Barry Odom from Arkansas, Tony Gibson from NC State, and Ryan Walters from Illinois. It's a long list that probably isn't ultimately going to be a realistic long list. But uh, the question is, which two or three would you most prefer to join Notre Dame? I think that is a nationwide search. Go ahead, Pete Sampson. <laughs> that is it. That is that, that is uh, a nationwide search. I would add Phil Parker from Iowa to that list based yes. on what, what I've been able to discern. Uh, he would be, if you want to go experience, Phil Parker would be number one uh, for me. That would move O'Leary down to linebackers. Parker's more of a DB coach by trade, big-time turnover guy. Um, I think what Marcus Freeman values most here is show me a guy who can take his talent level and overperform. Um, Iowa does that. Minnesota does that. Um, that I feel pretty strongly about. I don't – I have not heard Walters um, or Odom – those are uh, down the list. So generally speaking, those okay. are probably least likely. Um, you know, Doug Belk doesn't have a ton of experience, but the way he runs defense, I think would sort of suit like the statistical things that I look at mirrored Notre Dame a little bit last year. He also has three years as a GA at Alabama, which like 
you might as well be as a position coach. Um, at that point, if you're learning DB play from Nick Saban, uh, Rossi is intriguing to me too. Just like, I think that Minnesota is an overperforming defense. So if you said it was Belk, Rossi or Parker, I think I would feel really good about those. Derek Mason would be good too. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know if we were talking about off the air or on the air, but, um, I don't know that Mason's approach is going to match Marcus Freeman's, um, although he does. We talked about that off the air. Yeah, we did talk about that off the air. Uh, He's 52 years old. Um, And and so, you know, know, he's obviously one of the most experienced. I like Mike Trussell, but that doesn't sound like that's going to happen. I said I I was intrigued by Lukabu yesterday. I, I didn't necessarily mean that he was the guy that that would should or would get the job because it's it's Jeff Halfley's defense to be certain. Yes. Um, Parker, I think, is a is a is an interesting name uh, who's had a ton of success. He fits my criteria, too. Which I, is, yeah, I would, which ideally, is, they need an experienced person. Oh, right, right. Okay, I thought you had something ball. specific. Yeah, okay. They, right. they totally need an experienced person on that side of the ball. I would let, yeah, it's like, that's where, like, Belk is intriguing. Like, yeah. Belk is sort of like the next Marcus Freeman. Yeah. Um, I sort of want the D.C. to be more like the next Bob Elliott. Um, where like <laughs> when crap's going wrong, you're like, okay, I've seen this hit the fan this way, these five different varieties. Here's how I attacked all five, and then I can implement that in the second quarter of the game. Um, that that to me, that was just really apparent in the Fiesta Bowl is like they just didn't, they the defensive staff, when you remove Freeman from it had never been in that environment before. And it showed, I want a DC who's been in that environment before. Yeah. And it's like, you know, as I said earlier, 605 yards to Oklahoma state. I, I'm sure the Oklahoma state fans were just as shocked. Yeah. And Notre Dame had 28 points at halftime against their defense. And, and I had to ask that question post game. I, I, I mean, I know they didn't have many options, but the question has to be asked is, how do you help out the person that everybody knows where the ball is going the whole time and you still have him one-on-one against the person that he cannot right. stop? There's right. guy, and I know it's like, well, Tim, what would you do? I don't know. I'm not the defensive coordinator that had to figure out a way to do it. It's like, well, what would you put in Tyler Buckner? I don't know, during one of the eight ineffectual drives. Like, yeah. It doesn't mean I have a the proper answer. I'm saying if you watch that game, what did Notre Dame – what was Notre Dame's biggest weakness defensively in that game? They did nothing to mitigate it the entire game. And that's something where – as Pete's saying, somebody else can look at them and be like, okay, well, that's not working. We're going to have to figure something out here, even though it compromises something else. Yeah. All right, we're going to skip the next question. We address the running back coach situation. Pete, unless you know of any other uh, candidates for that job right now? I, I do not. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure where they're going to go with that. Yeah. I, I also feel like of all the positions, it's the one with the most amount of candidates where you're like, yeah, that'd be, he'd be great. Or he'd be really good. Or like, I like that one. Um, there's a lot of good options there and they all seem to be in the big 10. And it goes back to what O'Malley was saying about developmental running backs. I mean, that, that I'm not saying that the running back coach isn't important to of the development of running backs, but Kyron Williams is going to develop no matter who the hell was, was coaching him. If you told me Dylan McCullough was Notre Dame's next running back coach, I'd be like, yep, they killed it on that one. I'm not going to grade it, but I think it would be a good hire. <laughs> well, and recruiting, recruiting is huge for a running backs coach. Yes. Right? Yeah. I, mean, I mean, generally speaking. <laughs> I mean, it, it is it. Not, it's not it. I, you, I don't want to oversimplify it. It it's is almost number it. one. It is number one. <laughs> I mean, it's like when we do the slide, when I, we were talking about the sliding scale of the offensive line coach, you have 100 skill points. 
you yeah. devote how many to teaching and how many to recruiting. Running back, I'd be like, I don't know, 85 to recruiting and 15 yeah. to coaching. And generally, I would flip, you know, I would flip that. I, I'm old sure, school when sure. it comes to your your position coach needs to be a quality position coach first and recruiting second. And, of course, you want to try to find a guy that's both. Yes, yes. But as Tony Alford said during the BCS championship game, <laughs> I got to get me one of those. And he already had a pro in Theo Riddick, and he wanted the uh, superhero pro. He wanted the Eddie Lacy guy, even though Theo Riddick was standing right next to him. <laughs> I have a question from Denver Maximus. Having it, We're going to get away from coaches a little bit here. Uh, having Avery Davis and Joe Wilkins returning is a big boost to the small wide receiver room, but there still is not an elite wide receiver on the roster. Can Notre Dame attract such a player before fall practice begins? The prospect of Lindsay as wide receiver one is not very reassuring. I, I read this question and I had a bit of a palpitation thinking to myself, wait a minute. Lindsay's wide receiver one? Yeah, Lindsay's like, no, not wide receiver it's one. Lorenzo Styles. Yes. And you would hope that Deion Colsey would have the best offseason of any Notre Dame offensive player because that's the type of leap he needs. And then you can have Braden Lindsay be number three or four. And more importantly, you got to bring a grad transfer that can be number three. I would say number four because Davis is three. Davis will recover. Uh, you know, ACLs uh, takes a little while, but I don't see any reason why a skill position athlete, barring a setback, shouldn't be ready to roll full go by the start of the season. So I'm not, I mean, it's a, their wide receiver situation is a concern and that's why they have to bring in, they have to bring in a grad transfer. And if you brought in two, that would be fine also. Yeah. Or just a regular transfer. If they can make that. Happen. Yeah. I keep, I, I'm referring yeah. to the, yeah. Since I just, got a regular like if you transfer. said the prospect of Lorenzo styles as wide receiver one is not very reassuring. I would disagree with that. I would disagree um, as well. I'd say like, well, that's, I could roll with that if I was Notre Dame, but um, they, they just need more. They need more bodies in that room. Do you guys agree with what I said about Colsey? I mean, I know you agree in theory that it would be great if he could become receiver number two, but do you believe that is a realistic possibility by September? Yeah, I mean, I, you'd like to think so. I, you know, and I'd also like to think that that considering the changes that have been made at wide receiver in terms of instruction, that Tobias Merriweather comes in as a guy that can perhaps help you off yes. the bat. I, I know CJ, I felt really confident CJ Williams would be, uh, but he won't be in a Northern uniform this fall. Thomas, Jaden Thomas is, got, is another guy. I mean, I, we're kind of stretching. If you're going to have seven or eight guys, now they're going to have, they're going to bring in a grand transfer or a trade. They're, they're going to add to this receiver room because if they don't, they're going to lose extra games at the end of the year where they have all the receivers hurt. So they're going to add to the receivers room. It is incumbent upon Stucky, that eight receivers can play for him by the time you're rolling through mid-September. It is your job to get these. If they're young, you got to make them better. They got to play. There is no such thing as we're rolling four guys out there for 12 games. I mean, he has to. Pete, Pete you mentioned like how very, very <laughs> thin Merriweather. You just, all right, find something he can do for 10 snaps. This is yep. this is a new world of yep. wide receiver that you have to develop. I, I, that's a good way of putting it. I think we're going to see a new world of wide receiver at Notre Dame with Chancey Stuckey as, as the receivers coach. I just, I think the expectation will be, look, this evolution, this is, we got to pick up the pace here. Uh, it, it can't be, yes, yes. It, it can't be at the pace that it, that it once was. No, I, I did a deep dive on the receivers the last few years, and there's a lot of good. I mean, you had a position MVP in Chase Claypool. You had guys develop that you never would have projected in late <laughs> years. There just was not enough of guys contributing when they could have. 
And you look, some of the guys aren't good. Like Jordan Johnson, it's it's not Dell Alexander's fault. Jordan Johnson didn't compete. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. It is his fault that nobody did. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> You're You're absolutely right. Pete, we're gonna we're gonna veer off into something that O'Malley and I did here on uh, Irish Illustrated recently. Question from Irish John M. Enjoyed reading your stories on the top 45 players of the 2021 season. Who is the biggest surprise? to end up in the top 10 for each of you. Let me read off the top 10 real quickly. Kyron Williams, Michael Mayer, Isaiah Foskey, Jason Adamalola, Jarrett Patterson was five. The bottom five there were Jack Cohn, MTA, Kevin Austin, Kyle Hamilton due to injury, and Cam Hart was our number 10. So the biggest surprise preseason would be Cam Hart. Um, (laughs) Probably by the time we hit September 28th, that's not the biggest surprise, right? But if you want to go back to where the season started, I would. I did not have Hart in the top ten. Where Tim? I think. Where do you? Where did we have him? Uh, we had him as the number one corner, but that doesn't mean he was high. That means he was in the twenties. I had him higher than you, and so yeah. I'm not shocked by uh, top ten. But I had him. Uh, I'm not sure where I had him, but we had him number thirty overall. So I okay, would. I, probably, I had him higher than that, and you were probably a, so around my, there. He's my surprise. Um, Jack Cohn is the only other possible surprise for me since I had him 16. I rated him <laughs> six. Everybody wants to know I rated Jack Cohn sixth at the end of the year. Don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but no. Melly and I had the exact same top six. Yeah, we had the uh, same top six, Pete, without speaking to each other. So by, by the way, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, other guys, we had Bertrand end up being number 14. I know a lot of people remembered only his missed tackles and not all the plays that he made as the leading tackler by about 45 tackles on the team. Um, but we thought Maris Leofile would be starting, so that was a bit of a surprise. Lorenzo Styles at number 15, probably a bit of a surprise knowing that Dell Alexander was the, the coach and that older guys would generally play. The biggest surprise, of course, Joe Alton at number 17. <laughs> yeah. was – wait, let me, let me find this. Joe Alt was – 70-something? Yeah. Good Lord, 82. We just oh, didn't yeah, think there was, was any oh. way that he was going to get on the field. <laughs> well, think about it. Yeah, I mean, he think about it. Harmony was ahead of him. Baker was ahead of him. He was the fourth left tackle. Mea Culpa, Mea Culpa. He's great. He's going to wow. be. He's probably going to be a first-round draft choice here in two years. So, um, you know, it is what it is, man. We got to admit our mistakes when we make them, when we make a lot of them. He was the fourth left did. tackle. It was, it's impossible to That's play. true. That's yeah. true. I mean, Notre Dame decided that he was the fourth guy that had an opportunity to start. got in fourth, there. for crying out loud. So shame on Notre Dame. Yeah, we got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Why did it take so long? That's nuts. That is crazy. All right, moving on. Moving on. To, uh, well, let's see. Other That's, I mean, Diggs was 24th. That's. Yeah. Again, we didn't think that he was going to get a whole lot of reps either. Actually, Christophic at 27 is a, a surprise because after the spring, I didn't I didn't think he would be starting any games for Notre Dame. Well, yeah. I mean, Hamilton at nine is a shock, but not in a good way. Um, yeah, I mean, you know. mo- most of the most of the surprises are like, for example, if Bertrand's 14, it's because of the injury oh, of Leofau. Right, that's right. So a lot yeah. of those are created by the the, the circumstances and the the injury situation. Next from Port ND, can you explain to me how a veteran basketball team still can't deal with ball pressure late in games? I'm not sure if he's speaking extemporaneously here or he has a pointed uh, view of a certain basketball team. I've never been more ticked at a win than Monday. Okay, well, he's got a certain basketball team in mind. (laughs) Does Blake Wesley leave for the pros after this season is added to the question? Oh, that was the second question from somebody else that I didn't include the name. I apologize for that. But, you know, Notre Dame is not – think about their ball handlers. I mean – 
they don't have a lot of. I, no, it, they don't, but they're all guards. They don't have. I know, I know, they're all guards, <laughs> but they don't. They don't have a lot of really good ball handlers, and right now Blake Wesley's not a not a great ball handler. He is not. We talked and, about this. And Hub is loose with it too. So when somebody pressures them, when somebody has athleticism and pressures them, of course we're talking about Howard yesterday. Notre Dame pulled out. I yep. eked out a three point win at Howard, which was really a pretty cool event. It was really cool. Really and, cool. Yeah. Event. <laughs> that, <laughs> good. Good energy on TV there. Yeah. Not that you should win that game by uh, by twenty because uh, Howard was going to keep on coming and they were way more into it and they're just playing the game. But that is a game where Notre Dame got back up by 11. They should have been able to handle their business and not be in position of being tied on the last second shot. But Tim, I want to, you are totally right about they don't have ball handlers really for a team that really wants to pressure them. But now I ask you something. Notre Dame plays five guards out of seven players. (laughs) Notre Dame does not have interior defenders. So they don't have interior defenders and they don't have ball handlers. You think they're going to have? <laughs> well, you how think, many games you, are you going to win here? <laughs> you think we are overly optimistic when yeah. they're sitting number so like, two? You're and thinking the, to yourself, "Wow, look how well they're playing." They are. They, occasionally, they're playing pretty well, but they don't have ball handlers and they don't have interior defenders. I can't find two things that are more important to have if you're going to do something. You either got to be good on defense inside, or so good at handling the ball and passing the ball that no one can stop you. I would agree. And let me remind. And we we are going to get back to football. I wanted to include this. I didn't want to end with it so that people might you know, if they're not into basketball would turn this off when they found that we went to basketball, but the next five games are at Louisville, NC state at home, Virginia at home, Duke at home and at Miami, which the last I looked was leading the ACC. So Notre Dame at four and two. Well, here's the deal. It could change real rapidly here. I am telling you now there's two road losses there. Um, So what you need to do is find a way to go two and one at home. And really, if you want to make the NCAA tournament, and this is Pete's going to go crazy when I say this, you got to run the table at home. You could beat Duke at home. Everybody beats somebody at home. Like you can, there's, this is not Duke with Zion Williamson. You no, agree. Agree. I will say Louisville just law, played very poorly at home against NC State. You've seen which is all the more reason. Yeah, which is all the more reason why Louisville will probably play very well against Notre Dame coming up. So, um, yeah, and as far as Blake Wesley, it's our understanding that he will come back for a second year and and team up with J.J. Starling. Dane Goodwin's going to come back for a fifth year, and we'll see who else uh, who else. Ooh, does by that. the way, if everybody improved like Dane Goodwin, we would not be having these. Well, that's very true. He no. is he has become a really good college basketball player. All right, back to a couple of football questions to wrap up. Question from Rob Ebert: Are you more optimistic about Tyler Buckner? than you were about Brandon Wimbush at this point in their careers. Both highly rated recruits with electric running ability, but questions about accuracy and ability to read the defenses. I think it's a fair comparison at this point. But I did not have concerns yet on Wimbush if we're going exactly pre-redshirt freshman season. So, um, or pre-first starting season, I should say. They they grew within two games, right? Once we watched the Georgia game and stuff like that. But yeah. uh, so I would be disingenuous to say pre-Brandon Wimbush starting that I felt the same way. I think I'm higher on, I'm much higher on Tyler Buckner now than I am after Brandon Wimbush played two games. How's that as a starter? Yeah, but that's not fair. You, no, not it's fair. not, no, it's not, it's not fair. So where, where Tyler Buckner is now and where Brandon Wimbush was when we knew he was about to become the starter. I think I was more confident about Wimbush. Mm, I'm more confident about Buckner. 
Well, I mean, I, I think I think at really that, I, I, I can't yeah. I didn't I, I didn't have Tyler Buckner in mind at that point. I only had. Brandon yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's really difficult to answer the question because Buckner is going to start as a sophomore and Wimbush redshirted. Well, that's true. Yeah. There's a year difference there. Yeah, I was pretty uh, high on Brandon Wimbush going into his starting year of 2017. Yeah, I was, too. And I, it's not like I'm not high on Tyler Buckner. No, I am, too. That's I just think, you know, when you look at what what has transpired and transpired in the last couple of years, including the whole summer changing of the throwing mechanics thing from a couple summers ago, it's like, wait, what's going on here? I mean, I'm higher on on Buckner's potential for three years than I was Brandon Wimbush after he had played a whole year. I know that's not fair at all, but I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a good, that's Robert, of, it's a good question. That's part of the warts of a player. That's why we always love freshmen. Yeah. Right? I, you know, Pete, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I mean, I have, I have a lot of confidence in Tyler Buckner. I, I think the, the player that Tyler Buckner is going to become as a quarterback at Notre Dame, I think is going to be very good. If you're asking me how confident I am, him walking into Ohio stadium on September 3rd. Well, as we sit here right now, it's pretty difficult to be, you know, overly optimistic that he's going to go in there and, you know, have a uh, Ron Paula starting debut and throw four touchdown passes and win. Of course, they won't be playing. <laughs> I was going to say, can they get North, Northwestern? Northwestern. Yeah, who are they playing? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess my point is I really liked Brandon Wimbush back then, so I'm not going to pretend that I was. Yeah, I, yeah. I, would, I would just say that as each were about to take the starting job, I was more confident at that time in Brandon Wimbush than Tyler Buckner right now. Is that fair? Yes. Yes. I was. Or yeah. accurate as far as. Doesn't mean we were right. It doesn't at. mean we were right. It's asking who you're more confident about pre yeah. pre playing career. Right. Right. All right. We'll end with a uh, question on a story that I'm starting to put together today here as we start to look to the NFL draft from Maddie Mill 324. What draft eligible player has a chance to be a late round pick or free agent? And five to seven years down the road, you're surprised he's still in the league. Like a, like a Romeo Quara parallel? Is that is yeah, that sort of what this yeah. question is that yeah. you're getting at? So Kyron and Kyle Hamilton are not part of this uh, <clears throat> no. possibility. Like, um, so, Tim, your list we have <laughs> for Pete to think about it. Oh, oh, I know mine. And, I mean, is it a surprise? MTA. MTA would still be in the league. Yeah, I think MTA is your... Um, my Isaiah, my uh, your Isaiah, your yeah, yeah, Isaac Rochelle, yes, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think you know, as I look at this, so first of all, on offense, Jack Cohn, Kyron Williams, Kevin Austin, Kane Madden, on defense, Kurt Heinish, MTA, uh, Drew White, Isaiah Pryor, Kyle Hamilton, and then kicker Jonathan Dorr. And I don't a lot, of, a lot of times these questions are, I mean, it it fits one year more than another. Yeah. I don't. Right. And I'm not sure, you know, I think MTA goes day three. If Adeo Gundeji went in the, was it third or fourth round, fourth round, or was it fifth? MTA will go day three. I think. Yeah. MT. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I think early, yeah. uh, early day three, uh, Kyron probably early day two. And of course we I go uh, early in the day period. Jack Cohn is my answer for this one. Oh, that's, right. a good one. that's fair. Yep. I don't agree, but it's a good one. I mean, I think it's, yeah. fa- I just think it's fair in terms of accuracy. And yeah, and... I mean, that's what it's just the um, people come, uh, they, they rush the passer too. He's, he looks like, I mean, 
he's built more like an NFL quarterback than a modern day college quarterback yeah, in a lot yeah, of ways. True. Yeah, true. Now, you know, the mobility is obviously going to, going to come into play. Oh yeah. Probably yeah. more than, you know, certainly most quarterbacks that throw it as well as he does, but I tell you uh, what though, yeah. he'll look good I mean, in, uh, he'll look good in camps. Cause he's accurate. He's a great back. He's a great backup to have, I would think. Right. That's, I mean, I mean that's why, he, that's why I think he could be a backup for five to seven yeah. years. Yeah. Actually, it's, you got to, you love the size. Play. The NFL is going to love the size and just the pure, passing ability at the end of the day i mean well you know how mobile's mac jones and by the way how do you feel how do you feel about that now O'Malley, when you were adamant about hitting about the 49ers oh i don't not mac choosing jones. Mac I, don't, jones. I'm not, I don't take mac jones at number three in a hundred drafts <laughs> move on to the next year i'll take garoppolo still give me the next well, week wait a minute Oh, okay. Because they had yeah. the they had the third pick. What yeah. New England picked them? Okay, I. Oh, no, okay. that's my. Th- yeah, I don't. You no, I get that. Later. I totally. Yeah. yeah, I totally get that. That was a great pick then by by New England, wherever they got him down there in the. Like year. they took Alex Smith first fifteen years ago. If they were taking Alex Smith in the second round, like oh, that's a good try. Give him a shot, Alex Smith. Whatever, who cares? I remember first pick of the draft. <laughs> Do that. <laughs> no, I know, and I can remember. I was. I. That's when I still had a little bit of communication with urban meyer and he was a bit surprised that alex smith went first it's amazing it's amazing i don't want to go i mean not by the time it happened because you know all the lead up to the draft you have an idea what what the teams at the top are going to do but you know who's a good defensive line coach the 49ers defensive line coach because he has bosa that's who you get right there you get great players and you say go get them that's what the running back is he going to be ready to play this weekend yeah, he has to be. Otherwise, that's what what was the diagnosis on? That was a nasty hitty. Too. Look, it just, it was, diagnosis was like this is a rough sport to play. My God, yeah, God, terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that's uh, no, I don't. I stand by my don't take Mac Jones that high. All right, well, hey, we appreciate everybody joining us here today for Irish Illustrated Insider. We will get, gather again again on Monday, uh, January twenty fifth. I'm sure we'll have some coaching changes, Tim. If the 49ers upset the Packers, there will be a section dedicated to conversations. On We're going to have an emergency <laughs> podcast. Yeah, yeah, We're going to have an emergency <laughs> podcast. Talk to you you can do an instant analysis by yourself. Yeah, that's, that's what we'll do. Jack, set me up. It'll be, oh, it'll be great. It's a night game on Saturday, too. I will do an instant analysis by myself. That'll be, uh, that'll be fun to watch. <laughs> Tim Pete, thanks. Uh, we appreciate our listeners, as always, listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back on Monday, January 25th with... Almost undoubtedly more coaching news uh, as Nordame tries to, to, to finish off, as Marcus Freeman tries to finish off that process. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Mm-hmm.